It's hard to believe that Christians are being persecuted in a country that shares a border with the United States. But listen to what's happening to evangelical Christians in Chiapas, Mexico. And immediately they get kicked out. In a matter of minutes, they lost everything. But even amidst persecution and suffering, God is at work. And these guys connected with Jesus through that track. And they start praying. They accepted Christ. We'll hear more stories like these this week on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. In our studio with us is one of our international workers, Yvonne. As uh, our longtime listeners know, often when we have our international staff, we just use one name. We don't give last names uh, for the safety of our workers. So we're going to talk to Yvonne, and we're going to talk about a country that a lot of us don't think of as a country where Christians are persecuted, and that's Mexico. Our neighbor to the south, uh, many of our listeners will have been to Mexico, they traveled there, uh, and we don't think, hey, in Mexico, Christians are persecuted. Tell us about the place in Mexico where there is very legitimate and very real persecution of our Christian brothers and sisters. One of the places that are the most noticeable and that you might hear about is Chiapas. But um, I just want to add, Mexico has some of these places that we probably can describe as end-of-the-road villages. Just so you get an, an image, an idea of how this looks like. When you move out of the big cities into very small communities, you are going to start finding locations, towns, villages with probably less than 1% of Christianity, where Catholicism, and this is a mix, it's not what you see here in the States, it's a mix of Catholic uh, religion and folk religion into one. So you'll have uh, somebody that calls himself Catholic uh, worshiping uh, stuff, trees, animals, or doing witchcraft. So this happens in pockets all over the country. And it's hard to hear about this because nobody goes there. It's very, very far. And as I say, there's no Christians, less than 1%. The place that we focus the most right now is Chiapas. Chiapas is in the south part of Mexico. It's really close, like its borders with uh, Guatemala. It's one of the places that is unique all over the country. It's unique because it's the place where the guerrilla settled, and it's a place where the guerrilla directly attacks Christians. And the flavor that guerrilla has acquired in Mexico is so different from, especially Colombia, where, where I work too, because the guerrilla in Mexico has a blend of Catholicism, Marxist theology, and their desire to do something better according to them for their people. The guerrillas that you're talking about are the Zapatistas. What do they believe or what do they want? You, you talked about a, a little bit of Catholicism, a little bit of Marxism, kind of a weird combination. What ultimately do they want or are they trying to accomplish? They try to give the native Indians in Mexico, 
um, Chiapas has a lot of different minority people groups to give them what belongs to them. They said hundreds of years ago, Spaniards came, conquered us, took these lands away from us. So guess what? Now we're going to take them back. We're going to reclaim those lands. We're going to get rights. And it's hard to believe, but up to about 20 years ago, Indians will walk on the street next to a non-Indian or a mestizo, which is a mixed race a, uh, Mexican, and they will step to the side and call him sir and say, sure, no problem, and just go ahead, look down. And that was accepted in Mexico up to 20 years ago. And if you live in the north, if you didn't live in the area, that was so not common. It's not common in Mexico. But in this uh, location, Chiapas, it happened so often until the Zapatistas uh, started their revolution 20 years ago and things changed. With this change, the Zapatistas started saying, we want rights, we rule. We are the ones that uh, make the laws. And you can see now signs that says, in this community, the people rules and the government obeys, which it stands for everything they think. And even the police will not get into these places. They say, oh, this is their law. They have something called Ley de Usos y Costumbres, or a law of uses and traditions, which says, if this is what they do, then it's okay, and we cannot interfere. And that just go bad really, really fast. So the, the Zapatistas would identify Christianity as being something the foreigners brought? I mean, they see that as, as part of the oppression of the people? Well, Christianity is actually very complex because what they think is if you don't want to be part of us, and that's what they tell even the Indians, you're with us or against us. And we work with people that, Indians, that have lost their land because they say, hey, we, have, we want nothing to do with you guys, but we don't want to live different. Just leave, leave us alone. No, give me your land. And they lost everything. But um, when if you are an Indian that are part of Zapatistas and you choose not to be part of them, you're giving your back to the movement and you're giving the back to the Catholic Church. So you are attacking two of the most important things that everybody has in, in the worldview. And that's what it gets complicated. It's not just, oh, somebody bring this religion to you. It's like you're giving your back to what we believe, your ancestors believe, and that is wrong. So that's when they attack people, they kick them out, they put them in prison, they try to uh, force them to deny this new faith, and it's very complicated. It's interesting because it, it sounds like it's very similar to what we see in some places in the Muslim world, uh, I, I think particularly of Turkey. The, the people of Turkey consider being Turkish and being Muslim almost being the same, and so when you become a Christian, it's like you're denying your identity. You're denying your role in the community. It sounds like it's sort of that similar idea that, hey, you don't belong with us anymore if you choose to follow Christ. Exactly. And this is something that is hard for us to understand as Westerners, where your religion and your worldview goes one-to-one. -one. Your culture, hey, you can say, I believe in whatever, but it has nothing to do with my religion. In many places in the world, culture and religion are one. Mexico is one case where you are born and you belong to a religion. And changing that mindset, especially in little villages, it's imp almost impossible.
You're listening to Todd Nettleton on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. So what is happening in these areas, particularly in Chiapas, when someone does come to Christ, when they say, hey, I'm not going to go to the church with you guys anymore. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm doing this. Where does the persecution come first from their families? And what does that persecution look like? Usually what happens is when a new believer in these villages accept Christ, they realize, okay, we are doing things wrong. Now I understand I don't have to do all these things. I don't have to worship these idols. Hey, I shouldn't be part of their traditional festivities. So they decide, hey, I'm going to step back. Well, in these little towns, if it's an important celebration for some important idol, you have to bring an offering, you have to bring money, you have to put some of your time to celebrate. So the first thing that they're going to face is, why are you not wanting to be part of this? And they get angry. In this area, the people that control the, the in and out of merchandise and alcohol and tobacco are caciques. The caciques are the, is the person that has the most power over certain regions in Chiapas. So when one says, hey, I'm going to let this brand come into my territory, they're making money. Well, Christians don't drink. Christians don't smoke. They don't like that. It's become something that is also uh, an economical situation. So they don't like it. What happens is that they get kicked out of the communities. They lose their land. We just found out a recent case of 15 families that say, we are tired of living this way. We're tired of taking land from other people. We want to see God. And they're like, okay, let's see God. It's 15 of us. If the 15 of us go with the leadership, let's go talk to them. And I'm sure they're going to let us keep our 100 hectares or about 280-something acres. So they go together. They talk to the leadership. And immediately they get kicked out. In a matter of minutes, they lost everything. So the leadership just says, if you're going to be Christians, you cannot be in our village anymore. And that's usually what happens. Now, sometimes they try to convince you. And the way they convince you is they will put you in their local prison. And they will let the, lo- the all the community harass you for several days until you say, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Or even if you leave the community... They will try to harass you enough so that you will want to come back. And if you choose to come back, they will bring leaders from different communities. And in front of all of them, you will say, I am sorry. I want to be part of your group again. So they're so bullies. it's really just that the community pressure that's brought to bear of, A, if you want to fit in at all, you have to give up your faith. Uh, and then beyond that, if you even want to live here, you have to give up your faith. Exactly. Now, this is people that loses everything. Like, if I get kicked out of my city, I'll move to another city. I'll find another job. You can't do that. These guys, they they live from the land. So they have no land. They can't buy any more land. They're now supposed to go to a city where they don't qualify for any job. And now the situation gets worse and worse and worse. So in a situation like that, what is VOM doing to be able to help these brothers and sisters and come alongside them in their time of loss? Well, the first thing and the most important is to find them and locate them because sometimes things happen and nobody knows. These are so, such small pockets of people, like 15 families, that's large. But what when they kicked out, kick out one family? That's four people. Nobody hears about them. So we always are trying to find 
where they are, who they are. And if nobody else has found them and we do, the first thing is, what do you need? Because they might need food. They might need clothes. And these people, these 15 families we found, they were living under a stable. They had nothing. And they had guerrilla uh, people or members with guns making sure nobody will come and help them. And they were f making sure that they will suffer enough so they will say, I'm sorry, I let's go back. Until our national contact, three days after this happened with these 15 families, hears about the situation. And she knew, they, they told her, be careful because there are armed guerrilla members surrounding these families. And I asked her, so what do you do? Well, I prayed, I fast, I grabbed food, clothes, and I went. Hoping and praying that God will do a miracle and nothing will happen. So when we get there, she says, we saw guerrilla members with no guns. So we immediately gave them food, gave them clothes, and I started sharing Jesus to them. Because remember, these are 15 families that said, we want to seek God. We don't know, we know that what we are believing right now is not right, but we don't know exactly who God is. So she starts sharing the gospel, and she pulls out a track. We have something uh, through VOM that we work with. It's called The Story of Jesus. It's like a comic book, It's like right? a comic book, yeah, yeah, with the story of Christ. So we have, uh, in Mexico, we're working with the story of Jesus. It's a comic book that is a track, has a story of Jesus, and at the end you have the plan of salvation. So these 15 families are reading through this, and they're like, wow, Jesus was in a manger just like us. It was a stable. He knows what we feel. He knows what we're suffering. And these guys connected with Jesus through that track. And they started praying. They accepted Christ. And our national contact started visiting them regularly. They, after a while, she said, families, we need to start praying. You can't be living here for the rest of your lives. So they started praying. And about a year later, God provided uh, large enough piece of land for the families. Now, compared to what they had before, is nothing. They went from 270 plus acres to seven point something acres, which is nothing. But they had a piece of land just across from where they were staying. And they and before this all happened, she said, "Now we're going to start praying. And if God gives you something, because." It's impossible to get land. The, everything belongs to somebody or to the guerrilla. So if God gives you something, you have to give some part of your land to God and have a church here. Well, sure enough, we went to visit and say, look, I want to show you. Well, say, we want to show you where we're going to have the church. And we were able to pray with them for that piece of land where they're going to have a church. And next to they're going to have a school. Later... Uh, we get news from them that say, we are getting together regularly every week. We have now trained somebody that is teaching these people. Every week they read the Bible. They're studying uh, the Bible. They're learning more about God. More people is now coming to this place where the church will be. Right now it's just flat. There's nothing. So when there are new believers now. And they're worshiping God. And, and they're doing what they promise. And they're very, very excited to see what God is doing in their lives. I think the really fascinating thing to me is that when they got kicked out of their village, their their faith was very little. I mean, they they knew very little. Their knowledge was very little uh, to the point that somebody came along and it really introduced them to Christ and introduced them to what it means to follow him. And yet they still had enough understanding to say, this is better than what we used to have. 
to be willing to give up your whole life on that little tiny piece of knowledge is pretty amazing. Exactly. Now, one of the first questions that I was asked when I came back is, are they really doing this because they're trying to seek God? Or are they doing this because they know they can get something from somebody? So I actually, I asked Mexico, what's the deal with these people? And that's when we found out they never thought we were going to lose a thing. They were confident they were going to keep what they had. So after they lost everything, they w didn't want to go back. So when they went to the leaders of the village, they really thought the village leaders would be like, okay, you know, if you're seeking, if you, that's great, you know, kind of go on your way. That was kind of their expectation. Exactly. Just be peaceful and just be part of us. And so they, they got, got him by surprise. Now, something else that is very interesting is if you are going through a very hard time, sometimes all of us are tempted to go back. That's, that's the norm. Oh, this is too hard. It was better before. Well, this family for a whole year live under stable, a whole year, and they remain faithful. They kept trying to learn more and more and more. That's what made things, and even this case, different from what cases in other countries because they knew they had nothing to lose because they had lost everything. And only Jesus was the difference and became the difference in their lives. So when you go and when you meet with these people, what's their... What's their spirit like? What, what's it like for you to go and, and sit down with them? The first thing we try to tell everybody we meet in each one of these cases is that they're not alone. And we tell them, hey, I represent the church in the United States. And a lot of them are praying for you. And they care for you. And we're here so you know you're not alone. Now, something we're very careful always is we never promise things because a lot of people go places, oh, I'll give you this, I'll give you that, and they always forget. And well, not always. Sometimes that happens and it's terrible. And when you and when you're in the lowest point and somebody promises you promises you something, you you want that. So um we never promise things. And we always encourage people, pray. Pray. How are you doing? What do you need? This. Let's pray together. Let's pray if God can do something. Now, as a somebody that works on the field. We always try to do the best and the most we can because they have nothing. And even when we think here in the United States, oh, I have nothing. No, I have more. Even in my worst moment, I have more than the people we work with, especially in this case in Chiapas. So we get there, we sit down, we talk to them. We listen to the story because it is always helpful to have people tell us the story. They, they feel that somebody understands and somebody cares. And we make sure we care and we make sure they understand. We pray for them. That's always in, in every country I've been. We always pray with them because that's what connects us, talking to God. There's nothing else. Like, it doesn't matter. I go in and I tell them, this is me. This is who I represent or this is my nationality. That means nothing until, hey, I believe in the same God you believe Let's pray together. So once we're connected, you get to know people. You get to see their hearts. And um, we just take it slow. We always make sure it's real. Um, it's very tempting to start helping everybody. But people are smart. It doesn't matter. We found that people like to take advantage. And sometimes they create stories. So we, when we get there, we make sure the story is real. But once we know it's real, we try to do everything we can to help them 
move with their li- move on with their lives to 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 start a new life and then and then help them to get close to God and as close as they can because that's the best thing we can give them. You're listening to Todd Nettleton on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. You can listen to every episode of VOM Radio at www.vomradio.net. So our listeners, we want to equip them to pray for our, our family in Chiapas, our brothers and sisters there. What are some specific ways that you would encourage them to pray for Christians in that part of the world? Uh, this is, the first one is not an, an, an original thought. This is something I actually ask them, and they always ask, please pray for the ones that are persecuting us. Pray that they will come to know God. Wow. And that blows my mind. That has been very challenging because when something as bad as what happened to them happens, we forget to pray for those that are persecuting. So if you could please pray for those persecuting these families so they uh, will know God. That would be amazing. Pray for them so they will not get discouraged. From these 15 families, three of them gave up. And they didn't go back, but they went to the closest town, and now they're squatting in somebody's property. Not the best place. Uh, of course, they're not finding or not following God. They're not going to church. They're not. They, they just gave up. And what happens from there, it's usually, it's not a good mix. So pray that they will be encouraged and that they will follow through with what they decided to to do at first, which is know God. Pray for their safety. The Zapatistas or the guerrilla comes often, and uh, they will grab a machete and cut their water supply, and they get threats. Things happen. It's not good. Pray for food provision. The land they have is not enough to feed 12 families. So they are thinking on renting land. And the way to pay for that land that they rent is part of the harvest goes to the owner. They keep the rest. So pray for provision that they will find the right land and that that land will provide abundant food for everybody. And um, pray that the church that is starting will flourish and that they will be able to reach a lot of people around the area. Yvonne, thank you for sharing your heart for the people of Chiapas, and I hope that our listeners are encouraged uh, to join with you in praying for them. My pleasure. Thank you for having me here and for everybody at home. God bless you, and please don't give up, don't give to fear, and listen to what God has to say for your life. Amen. Thank you, Yvonne, for sharing with us about what's happening in Chiapas with our Christian family. When we hear about Mexico, it's often in the context of immigration or trade or maybe someone just got back from vacation in Cancun or Cozumel. But I hope our conversation with Yvonne will open your eyes to the fact that there is persecution in Mexico and that you'll pray for Christians in Chiapas. I want to close our time together with a devotional thought. I've been reading the book of Acts and read again the story of Saul's conversion in Acts chapter 9. I'm always struck by how soon after Saul met Jesus that people were trying to kill him. As I've been reading in Acts in recent days, the Lord has really drawn my attention to the role that Ananias played in Saul's conversion. We all remember the story. Saul's on the road to Damascus, and he sees a blinding light and hears the voice of Jesus saying, Why are you persecuting me? 
and Saul is struck blind and has to be led into the city by his helpers. And that's where Ananias comes in. God tells Ananias to go to Saul and restore his sight. And what does Ananias say? You can read the story in Acts chapter 9, but basically he tells God, that is a terrible idea. No, 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 God. I know about Saul, and he's a really bad guy. He's come here to arrest people in the church, and now you want me to go see him? And the Lord tells Ananias, yes, I want you to go. So Ananias is obedient, and he goes to see Saul. And there are two things that struck me in a new way as I read the story this time. First, Ananias reached out and touched Saul. And secondly, he called him Brother Saul. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus sent me to you. Remember, just four verses earlier, Ananias was telling God what a terrible guy Saul was. And yet now he obeys God, goes to Saul, reaches out to touch him, and calls him brother, brother Saul. And then Ananias sort of disappears from the story. We don't know what happened to him, but we sure know what happened with Saul. He became Paul, the great missionary evangelist and the author of so much of the New Testament. How different is that story if Ananias says no to God? Not too long ago, one of our VOM staff was in the Middle East at a meeting of Syrian church leaders. They were talking about this very passage. Some of these believers minister in the city of Damascus. For them, it's very easy to see Ananias' side of the story. They talked about that very situation. What if a guy from ISIS calls and says he wants to meet? What if a fighter from Al-Nusra Front comes in the door of your church? I've had a vision of Jesus, and I need to meet with you to learn more. What would these Syrian Christians do? What would we do? Our Syrian brothers and sisters talked about that. Would they go to meet with a sworn enemy of the gospel? And one by one, they shared that it would be difficult. It would be scary. But that if they felt God calling them to go, they would go in spite of the risks. I'm thankful for the example of Ananias, who was willing to reach out and touch and call brother, someone who had been an enemy. And I'm thankful for Syrian Christians who are willing to take that risk today. It's thrilling to know that God is reaching into the ranks of terrorists, even ISIS, and calling people to himself. We've had the incredible privilege to share some of those stories right here on the Voice of the Martyrs radio. But those new believers, those Sauls, need an Ananias to help connect them to the truth and to a body of believers. And that's not an easy job. There's a lot of risk. But it isn't just former ISIS fighters that need an Ananias. It's people coming to Christ where you live, where I live, our neighbors, co-workers, students at our children's school. I hope you'll pray with me that God will reach more Saul's among radical Muslim groups and also raise up more Ananiases to disciple and teach them. And I hope we'll pray that we can be an Ananias for someone who needs a friendly face and a welcoming smile as they choose to follow Jesus Christ. Thank you for being with us this week on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. You can listen to our conversation with Yvonne again at vomradio.net, where you can also access all our VOM Radio episodes as a podcast. That website is vomradio.net. 
Feel free to send me a question or a comment via the website. I'd love to hear your thoughts about our family in Chiapas, Mexico, or about the story of Ananias and Saul. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week here on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.